What's up, podcast listeners? We're back. Andy and Drew here. Welcome to episode 31 of the What's Up Castleberry podcast. We are excited to be with you, our regular listeners, and hopefully some new listeners, as we are Castleberry residents right here in Central Florida who desire to have casual conversations each week for the good of the people of Castleberry about Castleberry-related issues and including guests and friends who are involved with Castleberry. Andy, we've got a good conversation lined up with our friend Omar Bowler. I'm excited about that conversation. Yeah, it's going to be a great one. Such a wise man with uh, a lot of insight and a lot of practical wisdom to pass on to us all. He is. I always glean a ton from our, our times together. Andy, we're seeing a lot of each other. We're on Zoom still this point in our conversation along with producer Robin. Uh, but you and I have been out and about around town safely, of course, uh, delivering donated items, hosting race conversations, setting up Zoom calls, just a lot going on. Are you sick of me yet? I'm sure you're sick of my face. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I'm wondering when we can record on uh, on phone call, maybe for your sake, so you don't have to see me as much. But no, it's, it's good to be seeing each other. We've seen each other at uh, the schools. And this Walmart project that you mentioned was really exciting. Uh, we're both members of the Chamber of Commerce. And uh, Walmart was looking to get rid of some excess supplies that they have. So they called the Chamber. And the Chamber called you and I to see if we could help distribute some of these uh, giveaway gifts that Walmart had. And uh, because of our connections, we're able to donate them to the school and help a lot of needy students there. So honestly, Drew, when we meet over projects like that, I just love it because it feels like we're doing what we're made to do, to serve people, to connect people, to help the vulnerable, and to make our community stronger. Absolutely. In addition to stronger, Andy, I feel like it. our community feels smaller and more connected. It was really interesting and, and enjoyable the other day to be in the back of Walmart loading up boxes with a couple of principals from Castleberry Elementary, Sable Point Elementary, then immediately going over to South Seminole Middle School, just really seeing these uh, organizations and entities within our community coming together there's a need. Here's how we serve. It's a, it's a joy to do this with you. All right, Andy, for our Castleberry in the News segment, the uh, Orlando Sentinel put out an article that you shared with me highlighting, of course, various things regarding COVID and all of the effects of COVID. And one of the primary concerns for folks across our nation and across the world is in wearing masks and being socially distant, we seek to care for and protect those who are the most vulnerable, the elderly, those with pre-existing physical conditions. Well, the Orlando Sentinel put out uh, some statistics and they, there was a note that three long-term care facilities that care primarily for the elderly in the greater Central Florida area, unfortunately had five or more COVID-related deaths recently. Uh, that includes the Life Care Center in Altamont, the Coquina Center in Ormond Beach, and Eastbrook Gardens right here in Castleberry. It was interesting to note that there are some deaths through those care facilities. Andy, we care deeply about the lives of every individual, and yet there's comparison and understanding and discussion of what do these numbers mean? Andy, can you give us some, some thoughts and maybe offer even some hope, especially for those 
affected in Castleberry experiencing COVID? It's tragic. I mean, any death is a loss and very sad. But when you have 19 from the same community, that is particularly troubling. I've been to that nursing home many times, and it's actually a nursing home that has a special bent to care for dementia patients. That's the facility located right behind Publix on uh, off a yes. button, correct? Yeah. Yes, that's that's right. And I've been there uh, over the last couple of years many times because I offer a, a service and a devotion to the uh, guests there. And the staff are very warm, very friendly, very caring. But in a place where folks are having brain issues, uh, memory loss issues, it's very hard to isolate them right? They don't want to be locked in their room. Um, They're not thinking clearly. It's not surprising, although it's very, very tragic that the numbers are so high there. I would encourage our listeners to uh, hold that space in our city in your prayers. And if you get a, a moment to encourage any of the workers there, maybe send them a note, just thank them. I'm sure that will be appreciated because they're doing a very difficult job in very tough circumstances. That's right. And we care deeply about this community and we love our community. That's a great reminder to thank those who serve in some of the most difficult and vulnerable areas. So we're thinking of you, Eastbrook Gardens, on the What's Up Castleberry podcast. Andy, we're going to skip this week's listener question because we expect to have such an action-packed conversation with our guest, Omar Bowler. But listeners, we want to hear from you. We're hoping in the near future to perhaps put together a mailbag episode, kind of highlighting several questions and just topics around the community. So if you have a question, a comment for the What's Up Castleberry podcast, you can post those. Direct message us on our Facebook page or Instagram page, What's Up Castleberry. You can leave a question or comment in the review question of the the a review section rather of the podcast feed or reach out to us on our website what's up castleberry.com we look forward and love hearing from our listeners today our podcast sponsor a relatively new sponsor is all in construction services all in construction services has been in the central florida area since 2008 they offer beautiful home remodels renovations and additions they're locally owned and operating, operated rather. You can visit them at allinconstruction.com. Our friend and Castleberry Chamber of Commerce member, Kenzie Lolithan, who will be a guest in an upcoming episode, is our connection to All In Construction. She shares that home equity is a valuable tool. Harness the power of your home's equity by renovating and repairing your largest asset. Roofing, windows, kitchen, and bath remodels. That's allinconstruction.com. Thanks, All In, for being our sponsor. We'll be back with Omar Bowler. All right. 
right. Welcome back, listeners. Thank you so much for sticking with us. This is the exciting part of the show where we get to have a conversation with a person of interest in our city, someone who is involved in the life of our community and can shed some light and hope and wisdom into who we are. We are delighted today to have Omar Bola with us. Omar is the Deputy Chief Probation Officer for the Juvenile Detention Center. Did I get that right, Omar? For Circuit 18, which is Bavard. I cover Bavard and Seminole Counties. Okay, I'm kind of in the ballpark of juvenile law enforcement. Yes, you <laughs> are right there. <laughs> so as it's obvious that I'm gonna do a terrible job of introducing you, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and introduce yourself, Omar? Just a married guy. You know, I've had the same bride for 28 years, uh, so, Thank God for her. And well we have, said. We're going to yeah. highlight that. <laughs> and we have two wonderful kids. They're pretty awesome, too. They're just, just like any normal kid. And, you know, I've served in the military for 20 years, the Marine Corps. So, you know, anything that I do professionally is for my personal life. So that's kind of how I live. I've worked in juvenile services, I would say, for the last 15 years. And I love it thing I do see, I see the worst, I see people on their worst days. And that's why I love it because I like being that person there to give them hope on those days that not every kid goes through, but somebody that can see them and still care about them and not hold that against them. So that's a little bit about me. That's really well said. Omar, how long have you been uh, serving Seminole County specifically? I started off in Seminole County. I, I was here in the, in the juvenile detention center uh, for five years. And then when the sheriff department took it over, I went over to probation in Orange County. And then I came back over here as the assistant chief, probably about over three years now, almost four years now. Very good. Omar is just a fun little way to, for our guests and listeners to get to know you. Uh, we're going to do a little word association game we like to do with our guests. We'll say a word and you just first kind of sentence that or thought that comes to mind, okay? Mm -hmm. No wrong answers. Here we go. All right, Omar. First question, favorite sports team? Uh, I like volleyball. So Jake Gibb and Taylor Crapp, they're beach volleyball players. I used to play volleyball, beach volleyball too. That is not an answer we get very often. That's awesome. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I do too. That's great. Favorite movie? Uh, Top Gun. I'm a Marine, so. Yeah. And that makes sense because there's a, in there a volleyball scene in. Top yes, Gun? it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's all coming together. We know who you are. We, we, we got you. <laughs> all right. Favorite uh, pizza topping? Pepperoni. Classic. Did they have pepperoni pizza in Top Gun? Is that what they were eating in that box? <laughs> I don't recall. I don't think those guys ate much pizza. They were pretty uh, lean, and, lean and cut. Yeah. Uh, favorite date spot? Uh, 52. Seasons 52. Mm -hmm. Nice. That is a good restaurant. Yeah, excellent. And that's, uh, that's, my, that's my get out of trouble restaurant. <laughs> Very nice. Get some brownie points. Yeah. All right, Omar, final question uh, for a rapid fire. You're not wearing a tie currently, but if you were to wear a tie, what's your, what's your color tie of choice? Navy blue. Navy blue. Very good. Very top gun. Yeah. <laughs> Omar, you've mentioned a little bit of your, your story regarding uh, your service. Love to hear more about that or about other components. Uh, just as kind of a follow-up rounding you out as a person. If you were to 
maybe name or title the three to five kind of key chapters of your life, your autobiography, so to speak? What, what would you highlight about yourself? I would say chapter number one would be uh, Bosom Buddies. <laughs> I have a twin brother and we've stuck together, you know, our whole lives. So I would say that's chapter one. Another chapter would probably be Glory because of my military service. And I think the final chapter would be Justice League because I love working with folks. I, I love collaborating with folks. You know, I love being a part of something that's doing something for the community. So I, I would say Justice League. I love it. When I think of Justice League, I think of, is it the Avengers who are in the Justice League? My, no, my no, no, no. My, my kids would be mortified right now. Yes, do not tell your kids the Avengers. They're two different groups. <laughs> <laughs> so the Justice League have people like Batman, Gotcha. Uh, Superman, Wonder Woman. Yeah. Luke Skywalker. Yeah, all those. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for helping me. Um, I may have lost my <laughs> reputation in the community, but I've salvaged <laughs> it with my kids because of you. Yes, yes, yes. Tell us, Omar, a little bit about your service in the Marines. I mean, first of all, thank you so much for serving. I know that the, the sacrifices are many in doing that. But give, give us a brief overview of your uh, military history that leads you to define it as glory. Yeah, yeah. I will tell you the, the interesting thing that a lot of folks do not know about the military is that we do similar jobs that people in the community do. So if you see any base, a base operates like a city. So I, in that role, I was an engineer. I came in as an engineer. I joined the service. I was in boot camp at 17. So, and I studied in my basic, tr uh, after my basic training, my military occupational specialty school was engineering. But that certainly wasn't all that I did in the military. I did things such as I was a um, substance abuse counselor. I actually work with the Chaplains Association uh, they did what is known as chaplain enrichment development programs. So I did that for about 10 years off and on within my military career. And, and a lot of that was volunteer time and stuff like that. So I really enjoyed that. We did a lot of retreats during my 10 year stint with them. And I only ended because I retired and I left the area. Hmm. Uh, and then I also did what is known as critical incident stress management facilitator, a lot of people don't know that when people come back from combat, and I, I have two combat tours myself, uh, but when people come back from combat, they have to go through a period, if you would, where you get reacclimated to the community in which you came from, your family, and that, and you go through group counseling. And a part of that is there's facilitators, and then there's certain people that represent certain people within within a person's command or within facilitating field. So you may have a psychologist, you may have a substance abuse counselor, and you may even have somebody who's a uniform person. So I fit the billet of substance abuse counselor and a uniform person. So I did many things when I was in the military and I only got recalled from my substance abuse counseling days when 9-11 when hit. So when 9-11 hit, I got recalled Matter of fact, I was in my office, I was in a counseling session, and, you know, when the first plane hit, struck the ten Twin Towers, and I called my wife, and I said, um, you know, this is going to happen, I'm going to go away, and within two weeks, I was gone. So I think a lot of people do not know that the jobs that exist within the military are vast, 
Right. When we think of military service, we think of Top Gun, right? Yeah. And we think of combat, too. We think of everybody is carrying a gun and they're fighting at all times. And that's just really not the case. Ninety percent of the military supports the 10 percent, you know, 24 hour gun holders, if you would, the infantry unit. Wow. That's that's an interesting ratio. Yeah. I'm going to I'm going to go off script just a minute, guys. I, I think something you said, Omar, really struck me. Your work in the Florida Department of Juvenile Justice. Really, it sounds like I love what you said, your quote about wanting to move towards people in the, the very worst of days. Mm-hmm. And it seems like there's a real connection there. How are some of the things you picked up in your job in the Marines then connected to the role of what you do today and working with young men and women here in Seminole County? Wow, Drew, that's a very good question. I I think especially when I, that question draws me back when I was a critical incident stress facilitator. You know, people would come back emotionally. You know, these were men emotionally drained, emotionally can't connect with their own families. I know even when I came back from combat and I had been a facilitator, I'd been a substance abuse counselor, I was well aware of how to reduce my stress and I was overwhelmed. I could not even sleep in the same bed as my wife because I was concerned about what I would do in the middle of the night. So I think uh, for me, really connecting with those folks and even our kids in in this county, you know, it really... Uh, really makes me feel like I'm doing a, a service to these kids that are, in a sense, just left by themselves. I mean, we get the worst of worst cases. We get uh, human trafficking victims. We get people that's been abused themselves and now carry out that abuse. I have not met a kid that was in our system that was not traumatized far beyond even that I can imagine. When I think of that question, Drew, again, very good question. I think about how it allows me to relate to them and how it allows them to relate to me because I'm okay with that. So you're running into juveniles at their worst, you know, situations mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. trafficking. And we, we know the uh, horrendous stories behind that, you know, I'm sure there's lots of abuse and loneliness and just tragedy in those kids. And I guess we can call them kids because that's kind of kind of what they are. Yeah. What What is your role with the Justice Department, Juvenile Justice Department, shown to you about some of the challenges that our society is facing? You know, obviously, when a, a child is in crisis a lot of the time it's a symptom of something else, of a bigger Mm -hmm. problem. What are the bigger problems you're seeing in society that are revealing the symptoms that you're dealing with in adolescents and young people? I think we have gotten away from services that could really help our kids. Mm -hmm. You know, like I said, I always relate to the kids because I came from a poor neighborhood too. And I think... And this is just my thoughts on this, but, you know, social programs started to leave uh, when we started to militarize police forces. I can be pro-police as I am, but pro-services in the community as well. And then my thought was, as a kid, I stopped playing baseball when you had to start paying for it. So I think, you know, my mom raised seven kids and there's no way she could pay for all the kids to be in sports program or even other activities that were out there at the time, because there were many back then, 
But those started to go away because of the fact that they required an investment. You know, as some would say, if you just divert some of that stuff that you have earmarked for law enforcement, they're talking maybe 5%. I know that sounds drastic to some people, but you can actually increase what you do in your social programs within our communities by 100%, which research has shown that that would reduce those deeper end kids from getting in more trouble and prevent our kids from even getting in trouble. So, and this has an impact on our adult system too. I'm talking about our adult criminal justice system. Mm. So we really got to think when people think about reform of law enforcement and even divesting in law enforcement, they don't mean eliminating. I certainly don't mean that because I do think we need a police response at times, but I think we need to invest in the type of response like, Seminole County has a great 211 call number. I mean, it is the calls that I get and the staffings that we talk about, the response, and I've been with some of these professionals, uh, the way they respond, almost like a police-like time frame. I'm talking within minutes, they go to houses and they talk families through crisis is what they do. More has to be invested in 211 type services. Omar, I'm reading a great book, and I'd encourage our um, listeners to to grab it, too. It's called Upstream by Dan Heath, Hmm. and he talks about how we need to get ahead of problems. I think the subtitle is How to Answer Questions We Don't Know We're Asking. So it's about how to get ahead of situations. And he references a youth situation in Iceland Hmm. where, I think in the 80s, 58% of teenagers in Iceland admitted to being drunk and disorderly within the past 38 days, mm-hmm. right? 30 days, unbelievably high numbers. So how do you address the problem? One of the things that they did was put money into recreational programs, right? Mm-hmm. And at first they just kind of developed more basketball courts and things like that. Mm-hmm. And they found that wasn't working, but it wasn't until they organized basketball leagues that allows the kids some competitive, purposeful output that the problems started to diminish. So within five years, it was like 3% of teenagers who yeah. could say they would. I mean, it was just incredible. And so the government actually subsidized scholarships for these pay-to-play programs. It, it was it was really amazing. I'll have to get it. That's, that's a little bit of an aside, but it just... No, no, that, that's definitely related to it because here's another thing. Judges actually order kids to participate in extracurricular activities because there's research that shows... That if, I mean, the the research shows that you're either involved in extracurricular activities or you're involved in court fees. There's actual one study that talks about the relationship between person being involved, a a juvenile now, a kid being involved in church and their likelihood of being involved in delinquent activity. Meaning that if they're involved in church, they almost have an 80% chance of not being involved in delinquent activity. Wow. Omar, th- this is such a fascinating conversation. And uh, we, I feel like we could go on and on about investment in the next generation and really appreciate you know, what you do. Andy and I had the privilege of meeting you initially through an, a mutual friend of Pastor Andre Martin in regards to things, uh, another huge related social issue, talking about race and reconciliation and some of the community conversations that we've had 
here in Castleberry. Why has it been important to you that you've been a part of those those conversations? You served as a one of our panelists and have given some real wisdom and advice. Why is it significant for you to be a part of this? I, I think one, I have to be a part of it because I'm a part of that minority group. I kind of been black all my life. Uh, <laughs> so for me, so for me, yeah, I, I truly it's. Uh, relatable to me. I mean, you always get involved in something that's relatable to you. I, I guess the other thing is that I'm in a court system and I see it. You know, I have stories, personal stories of kids that, that are treated differently. Uh, and when I first began to speak about it and present on that, I started to find out from other agencies, and I'm talking about sister agencies such as the Department of Health, Department of Children and Families. They were saying, hey, this is Look at these statistics on our side of the fence. Look at our statistics related to health care and coverage and disenfranchisement. And then I had children and families saying, hey, you know, this is going on in our system. Uh, I would have realtors tell me, realtors tell me this is going on where they are from. So I started to find out how deep the rabbit hole is. And I still haven't learned it all. But I think that's what kind of motivated me to speak more about it, but also to debunk some of those things that people, I think, you know, Andre, we, we spoke about this a couple of times, the lack of information. Uh, and, and I'm a firm believer, your information may be the wrong information, you know? Uh, so I think that- my, my wife tells me that all the time, Oma. Yeah. So, um, and fortunately my wife is always right. So I'm always cut, you know, cut at the knees on that one. But I, I think that's the biggest thing. The, the lack of information mm-hmm. is the lack of truth and somebody else's information may not be the truth. You've contributed so much to these conversations that we're having, Omar, and our listeners can listen to the conversations on the podcast. We're releasing them through here as well. But as you've uh, contributed much, what are you? What have you learned from the conversations that we've shared as a community? I've I, I got to be honest. I'm not sure if I've learned more than the listeners. I'm kind of selfish in that on that <laughs> level. What I've learned because we've had candid conversations just in the planning of this that just really have really motivated me and really touched my heart, really. I'm learning that white people's feelings should be valued just as much as black people's feelings. So so what I mean by that is, or the difference is, I also believe that there's a difference between what I consider equal and the feelings that require immediate attention, meaning the the context of what's going on right now with, you know, uh, what is considered police brutality. And I think we also, the narrative related to that is messed up because there's a difference between bad actors in an organization and the organization being bad. So I think we get confused and we also get confused with the academics of what, you know, chiefs of police all over the country deal with when they're in a fight with unions that really control whether a person stays with an organization or not. So I, I, that's the information part too that I often speak about because a lot of my black counterparts mm-hmm. don't understand that, don't understand that there's a difference between what police can do and what the power of maybe a union has, you know, and nothing against the union because the reason for unions is honorable, is to protect the rights of, you know, the worker. But in its inflated way, in its bad way, if you would, 
it allows police force or makes police force hold on to people that are not honoring the uniform that they're entrusted to honor. Yeah, those are great points. And I encourage uh, our listeners to listen to the uh, conversations as we release them. So last question, we're out of of time and I want to be really, I don't want to be unfair, but I'm going to be unfair with this question. I'm going to ask you a big question and ask that you just give us a a small answer. And I realize that's tough. What can the average which is probably Drew and I, <laughs> in fact, we're probably just a little bit below average, but what can the average Hustleberry resident do in their small world to help foster greater racial reconciliation? That is also an excellent question. And I'll put it just like this. If you're white, listen to a minority group, start with blacks. Mm-hmm. If you're black, listen to how white people feel and value their opinion, um, and then listen to other groups that are not like yours, but may be disenfranchised as well. That's a brilliant answer. That is a brilliant answer um, to to what is a very complex problem, because that's where it starts, right? Listening and understanding. Oh, well, we, we do need to to wrap up and we'll have to have you back again soon um, because this has been a great conversation. How can people connect with you and get to know you a little bit more? Social media, those kind of websites. Your social media accounts. I'm on LinkedIn at Omar Bowler. I'm also on Facebook. I don't hide from social media. I think it's important that uh, we connect with our own family and kids through social media. If anybody would like for me to talk to a group, it's probably easier to catch me on LinkedIn. And Bowler is spelled B-O-H-L-E-R. That's correct. You know, and don't pick me on your bowling team because you'll lose. (laughs) (laughs) Just saying. Omar, thank you so much for being with us today. But beyond that, thank you so much for all you do for our community. We hear and we fret and we worry so much about the next generation. Mm -hmm. And honestly, it does my heart good as a member of our community to know that we've got people like you who are Mm -hmm. offering hope uh, mixed with love and justice and second chances and and all that good stuff to our community. So thanks for for being a bright light in a, a dark place. Thank you for having me, I appreciate it. Drew, that was so insightful. Let's make a note to have Omar back again real soon. As we prepare to wrap up this week's episode, Drew, I want to throw it to you because I know you have some inspiration to share with us. Absolutely. Thanks, Andy. Yeah, that was fantastic and inspiring by Omar. Appreciate his time. Our inspirational quote today or this week comes from Alexander Pope. And the quote is this, to err is human, to forgive divine. To err is human, to forgive divine. You know, I couldn't help but think as Omar was sharing about working with individuals who have erred in one way or another and are at a place in their life where they really have the opportunity, a choice in which kind of path to make, to continue down the path full of errors and hardships or the path that would lead to kind of restoration. I can't help but think that all of us, if anyone knew what's going on in our hearts and our minds, we all err 
in one way or another. We all mess up. That really is part of the human experience. But we need to be forgiven and we need to forgive others. I like that there's almost a, a supernatural or even godly element based on this quote to the concept of forgiveness because forgiveness does not come easy. So listener, if you are needing to be forgiven, understand that messing up, making mistakes, committing errors is part of the human experience. But don't wallow in that. Pursue forgiveness. And listener, if you're in the other shoe, the other position, if you have the opportunity to forgive, you can do something miraculous in the life of someone who's hurt you. Seek forgiveness, because in seeking to forgive, we come together both as individuals and come together as a community. Thank you, Drew, for sharing that thought with us. There is great freedom in forgiveness. Listener, thank you so much for joining us today on the What's Up Castleberry podcast, a casual conversation about our community. This podcast is produced by Robin Kepi. And for more information, please check out our website, Facebook page, Instagram, or podcast feed, all with the name What's Up Castleberry. Please like and subscribe to our podcast and please rate and review us. Until next time, we hope you have a great week.